0: Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here with Benny Lewis, and we're your hosts of the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Ashton, a Fluent in Three Months Challenge alum, which, by the way, if you take part in a Fluent in Three Months Challenge, we promise you'll have a 15-minute conversation at the end of 90 days. But back to this episode of the podcast, we had a chat with Ashton, who's a past participant of the challenge, and in our conversation, we discuss being a language dabbler, Using native speaker materials to learn Spanish, learning completely new languages after having learned your first second language, approaching language from a speaking approach versus an academic study approach, overcoming the nervousness you feel about speaking, whether or not you have different personalities in different languages, and the quote unquote right time to learn a language. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would absolutely love it if you left us a review. You can share your thoughts over at languagehacking.com slash review. Now, on to our interview with Ashton.
1: The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 46.
0: Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hi, everyone. I'm Shannon Kennedy here along with my co-host, Benny Lewis. Hello. And today we're here with Ashton, a Fluent in Three Months Challenge alum. So welcome, Ashton. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So why don't we just go ahead and jump right in and get started with how you got started with language learning?
1: Yeah. So, well, getting started with language learning, that goes way, 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 way back. I consider myself um, almost like a lifetime language dabbler. I always had a tendency to like in, for example, uh, garage sales or bookstore sales or something like that, um, start to gravitate toward more of the language learning books that maybe were half off or 50 cents or something like that, just to flip through the pages and see what was in there because it almost felt like a puzzle in a sense. And I've always loved puzzles. Um, And so I remember the first one that I got was actually an Italian book. And it was on major sale at Borders way back in the day when those still existed. Um, And so that was really, I think, my first foray into starting to dabble in language learning um, sort of intently. Um, And I say that because I would actually take that book with me to pretty much everywhere that I went for a good couple of months. Um, So, you know, going to big birthday parties, because I have a really big extended family, I would bring that book with me or, you know, on the bus to school, I would bring that book with me and just kind of flip through it. To be totally honest, I have not retained a lot of it, um, which is why I consider myself a lifelong language dabbler. Other than that, I would pick up books on like Urdu and Korean and Japanese. um, And then I studied Spanish in high school as well. So that I think is sort of the, foundation for, I don't know, what made me interested in languages for so long. Um, But then what really kicked off my interest in languages was when I went on an international exchange um, service learning trip for three months to Rwanda. And when we were there, um, part of that trip, in addition to service learning activities and getting to know community um, service organizations, we um, took Kinyarwanda lessons with a a local teacher. And that was a really incredible and eye-opening experience for me because I realized that by the end of those two or three months, I was able to have very basic conversations with people in a language that I didn't even know existed before, you know, just a couple of months ago. And I really did chalk that up to talking all the time every day. But also what's a little funny about that is a few years after, and this is actually what brought me to Fluent in three months um, in the first place. So I was finishing up my master's degree, and uh, as a piece of the master's degree, um, you needed to basically show that you were proficient in any foreign language. And because I had studied Spanish in high school and a little bit in college, I figured, oh, you know, I'll just do Spanish. It's no big deal. Little did I know that I needed to have actually spoken it (laughs) in order to prove my proficiency. Uh, I was able to read it and write it, no problem, but when it came to the speaking test, I just brutally, brutally, brutally failed. I could not talk. I could not speak Spanish. I was being asked questions like, you know, what's your favorite thing about Washington, DC? What types of movies do you like? And I just had nothing. And I remember walking out of that test and just being crushed. I'm like, I know Spanish. I know that I know Spanish. Why can't I speak it? And I was just so frustrated and I felt defeated. And I remember actually um, sitting on the subway home and being like, there has to be something out there. Like there has to be a group of people who maybe have felt this same feeling at one point, right? And I can't remember what I put into YouTube, but whatever I put in as a search actually brought up your um, TEDx talk, Benny. And so I watched the TEDx talk and after the end of it, I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to look up. It was add one challenge at the time. I'm going to look up Ad one challenge. I'm going to read through the testimonials and just see what it's about. And pretty much immediately I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do in three months, which was the actual deadline for me to pass the proficiency test. This is going to be the test can I go from falling on my face in Spanish to being able to show that I have B2 proficiency speaking? And I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I just, I wasn't sure, but I figured, you know, really why not give it a shot? Let's go. And that I think, um, I'm, I'm totally rambling here, but, but yeah, ultimately the the outcome of that was that I did in fact after three months pass the speaking portion of the test and I, I did end up being able to show that I spoke at a B2 level in Spanish. So that shows the efficacy of Fluent in three months and the One challenge. Um, but, you know, I think that most importantly, the One challenge provided the, the structure in which you could kind of find it within yourself to get to where you wanted to be and get to your goals. So that's my very long answer <laughs> to your question, but yeah.
2: So what do you think was uh, the thing that changed? Because like, why did you feel initially, I, I know Spanish and you, you had that experience and what was the disconnect that made it so that you had to go through this process of going through a challenge to actually be able to speak Spanish? So what, why was there that idea in your mind and what changed to actually make it true?
1: I think it was the disconnect of me knowing how to read and write in Spanish made me assume, oh, yeah, I know Spanish, no problem. I can speak Spanish. I know how to read and write it. No problem. That translates. It did not. Um, and so that moment the the moment in the test where I just totally bombed it made me realize that actually it was the speaking skill that I needed to work on with Spanish. It's like I guess I was thinking of it as like, oh, you know, a little bit of it, you know, all pieces, you know how to read and write and speak and, you know, listen and everything. And I was just so raw. <laughs> um, so that, that's what I would say. And I would say that the Fluent Three Months Challenge, the first one that I did anyway, um, that's the, that was the key that made me realize it was really speaking. That was the, the core skill I needed to work on. And that's what I used that challenge to work on.
0: So during one of your Spanish challenges, you went from, a, you wrote B1.3 to 1.4 level to C1.1, 1.2 after only 48 days of playing around with grammar, lessons, and a couple of other resources in for learning Spanish. So could you share a little bit more about that approach and like how you were able to kind of narrow down what you were doing to something that worked so well for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I think um the one where I went from B1 to C1, I think that that was the second Spanish challenge that I did. Yeah, the first one it the the results weren't quite as major, but um but yeah, in terms of the second cha- the second uh Spanish challenge that I did, what I focused on in that one was trying to find the specific resources that I felt would continue to keep me engaged in language learning. And so what that meant was I needed to find basically resources and materials and media and just things to consume that were meant for native speakers, um, which was very new to me. I actually hadn't explored that too much before, besides listening to like But that was it, really. Um, And so that the second challenge, I would say that's where I started to do things like, okay, I'm going to change my all of my gaming consoles to Spanish and I'm going to change um, all of my the languages of my games to Spanish. And I'm going to only listen to Spanish music that I've curated, which is something that I'm really passionate about is music and curating music and everything and only do that or. For example, find TV shows or movies or podcasts, especially podcasts in Spanish and using those as tools, not necessarily finding those resources as resources to learn the language, but rather resources that were just things that I would enjoy that also happen to be in Spanish.
2: So something that uh, terminology that comes up all the time in these podcasts that uh, you're mentioning there is the progress from level B1 to C1 that can seem kind of like hard to pinpoint. So for people who aren't totally familiar with the uh, European Common Framework or these exams, what's conceptually, what does that mean to be at the B1 level versus at the C1 level?
1: So from my understanding, B1 is more like being able to hold your own in a conversation, a very basic one. You you don't necessarily have to give, you know, a manifesto on the details of a certain type of butterfly, but you're able to answer basic questions about, you know, your likes and preferences, ask other people about their likes and preferences, maybe give a more detailed explanation as to why you think something, but doesn't necessarily have to be super academic. Um, so B1, I would say, is To the point where you start to feel like, oh, hey, I can actually speak this language now. And it feels kind of okay. And then I would say, getting into the C levels, that's where it gets to be pretty intensive. And I would even say that whatever test I took that said I was a C1, I'm not sure if that was even totally right. Because I would even consider the C levels to be like, you're pretty much near bilingual, For C one, I would say maybe not as much as C2, but for C one, I would say it's like you can write a paper about something and it's pretty coherent and there aren't too many errors. Or you can have a pretty lengthy discussion about, I don't know, the latest legislation that just came out with some errors, but it's not, you know, too horrible. Something along those lines where the I think it's a mix of maybe technical knowledge in terms of, of course, the you know, grammar and, you know, higher levels of vocabulary, but also maybe more of that cultural nuance knowledge as well that kind of differentiates those those levels.
0: Now, we've talked a bit about your Spanish challenges and that you've done two Spanish challenges, one for, you know, the regular challenge and one as part of advanced, but it's Spanish isn't the only language that you've studied with the three-month challenge. So you've also studied Japanese and French. Can you share a little bit about how your experience with those languages and the challenge might have been a little bit different than Spanish?
1: Yeah, those two challenges really gave me a run for my money. <laughs> so with Spanish, I think because I had such a, an extensive um, foundation of it through, you know, classes at school, um, I kind of had that as a, a crutch to lean on during my two challenges, which was great. And it it posed its own set of challenges in terms of what I needed to focus on and you know what types of resources I needed to look for. Japanese and French, however, were languages that for the most part, I didn't have a lot of experience with. Japanese, I had absolutely zero experience with. And then French, the extent to which I had experience was like a three or four month course when I was 12 years old. So it was pretty minimal from the get go. And I would say that the biggest challenges that those two languages posed for me was having to be from ground zero, pretty much, that, that was rough. Um, I remember with the, the beginning of the Japanese challenge, I could basically say, Konnichiwa, and that was it. That was all I had. Um, and I remember because you have to record the, the day zero, the day 30, the day 60 and 90 videos, and you can, you know, pop some in, in between, but I remember, Sitting with my day zero video and realizing like I don't have any words to say <laughs> in Japanese right now. And actually like just sort of looking at myself in the camera and realizing I need to Google something right now before I start this and having to do some background research. But that that was a challenge and trying to also find Resources and materials that were geared to ultra, ultra beginners, which I also think kind of um, backfired in many ways, because for the Japanese challenge in particular, the the renowned um, books are the Genki series. And I, in retrospect, I think I did rely on those a little bit too much. I think that probably what would have been much more beneficial to me is if I actually just focused on casual speech with a tutor, because um, that that's what I found to have been really the biggest help and the biggest boon with language learning, for me anyway. And then with French, I would say the biggest challenge with that one was not confusing it with Spanish. And I say that because it, I had just come off the tail end of my second Spanish challenge. And so I was really, really deep in the thick of things. I was You know, I I think my study goal at that time was 60 minutes a day for at least six days a week. And so I was but for the most part, I was actually going over that a lot because what I had done is basically redesigned my life to be all in Spanish. All of all my apps, all my, uh, you know, my Google account, um, pretty much everything I used was in Spanish And so it was really difficult to try and pretty quickly just shift my brain from being in Spanish mode to suddenly French mode, which was actually it's very, very similar in many ways. And again, the challenges of that post that I found were, you know, I would be talking with with a tutor and in the beginning, I would actually guess how to say words. And about, I would say, 40% of the time, I was right. But the more that I worked on French, the more I realized that when I would rely on guessing using Spanish, it would just totally backfire. <laughs> it was just not something I could rely on too much. So, yeah, th- those were really the main the main challenges that I found with the intro languages was really trying to get my grounding and my footing. And then also not, uh, I guess, overusing Resources that actually came and didn't serve me in in the way that I thought they would.
2: Yeah, something a lot of beginners do is they think just I'll use this book and that'll get me to some level of the language. And um, it sounds like in a way your experiences with Spanish and Japanese had a lot of parallels. That initially you had this more academic approach, but when you realized. You know, I just need to get into speaking. That's what changed everything. And it's very easy to just say that. And you know, I, I rattle off all the time, speak from day one, speak from day one. But making that switch beyond the theory is its own kind of challenge. So in both your Spanish and your Japanese situations, how did you push yourself away from the mindset of, I'm going to study this language and embrace the very difficult aspect of speaking as a beginner? Because for a lot of people. It's just an impossible concept. How can you speak a language that you've just started to learn?
1: Right. So that is a great question. And I owe all of all of the pushing to do that to the Fluent in Three Months community. That Slack group really makes the world of a difference. It really, really does. Um, having that constant stream of people checking in and updating, you know, Saying, hey, I did my language goal. Here are the resources I used. You know, I'd recommend checking this out. Um, That is just such a wonderful, wonderful resource and wonderful motivation. And I recall, particularly for Japanese, I recall working with Genki for about two or three weeks and saying to myself, you know, I need uh, at least two or three chapters of vocabulary to be able to talk um, and that was the mindset that I had. And after checking in and you know seeing people check in too, I, I noticed over the last four challenges that it takes maybe a couple of weeks for people to really start picking up and speaking with tutors and exchange partners. But um, once people started saying like, "Hey, I just had this great thirty-minute iTalkie session," or "I just had this great fifteen-minute chat with someone on Tandem," that's really when I started to realize, "Oh man." I really should find someone to talk to. (laughs) And I would also say for Spanish, um, the thing that really pushed me to start talking was, um, I think that was a big key takeaway that I had from your uh, TED talk actually was really emphasizing speaking. And with that mindset going into the first Spanish challenge, I realized, you know, I need to not even look at a book for a month. I just can't do that. My priority is going to be, I'm going to get on italki. I'm going to pop in however many credits I need to pop in for a month. And that's just what I'm going to do. And so that's, that's really what I did. But I will say that first, oh my gosh, the first time that you have a, an italki lesson or an exchange language session for me anyway, is so, so, so nerve wracking. I get so anxious. I come up with all sorts of excuses to reschedule or cancel or not do it. But I think really 80% of the challenge is just showing up. That's it. And so that's, that's really also what kept me going <laughs> is just showing up and doing it.
0: I think that exchanges and first lessons can be really nerve wracking for most people, especially if you're not used to taking the speaking approach and you're used to having your head kind of in a textbook and not having to use the language. So given that you've done this now four times, uh, what would your advice be to someone who is experiencing nerves about having those first conversations?
1: Yeah, I would say, well, I would say a couple of things. So... Um, I just recently moved, so I don't have this up now. But in my last department, I had this big piece of paper that I wrote, curiosity, not perfection. And that was my guiding mantra that I looked to whenever, for example, I was sitting here and realizing, oh, man, I'm so nervous about this hour long session or I'm so nervous about this new exchange partner. What if it's awkward? What if I don't know what to say? Um, and starting to have those thoughts, thinking back to, you know, if I stay curious about what might happen, I don't know. I, I don't have to be perfect. I can ask questions. I can say, I don't know how to say something, or I can say, could you repeat that? So I would say that's one. Two, I would say if you are paying a tutor um, to sit down and, you know, speak a language with you, remember that. You're paying for a service. And so if, you know, if during a lesson that your tutor starts to speak English or kind of go off on tangent or something like that, I would say um, be confident. And this could be through a number of ways. You could write yourself a sticky note or you could write yourself a reminder or something like that. But but know that you have the ability and you have the power to say, you know, please speak whatever language that you're learning, please Can we talk about this or, you know, please, can you help me with this and be specific because they're, they're there to help you and they're not there to judge you. They should not be judging you. They're there to help you reach your goals. Um, So those would be the two things I would say, curiosity, not perfection. And remember that whoever you're working with is there to help you.
2: Definitely. And one other thing that you've uh, kind of brought up um, during these challenges is that you find your personality changes a little bit, uh, when you get into these languages. Like you may identify maybe in English a little bit more quietly, but then you, you get to bloom in Spanish. So like, how does that work? Because for a lot of people, they would imagine the person I am in, in this language is the person I am in the next language.
1: Yep. That's exactly right. So I, this was actually something that I feel like I didn't start to realize until. I had a pretty solid grasp of Spanish. So my, I guess, English personality, I definitely, um, I would consider myself introverted. I don't really like, you know, I don't really like going to clubs or bars or anything like that. But when I am sort of in Spanish mode, I start to be interested in maybe more of an extroverted lifestyle, if that makes sense. Or maybe I'm just more sociable. I think that that would probably be the most likely thing. And so, for example, in English, I find if I am spending time with people for, I don't know, three or four hours, I really need to go home and just recharge. And, you know, I get my energy by being alone and, I don't know, reading a book or playing piano or something along those lines. But when I'm sort of in the Spanish mindset, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm down to go to a concert. I'm down to go to a happy hour after that. Yeah. I'm down to, you know, go try this new restaurant that just opened up and they have tapas for, I don't know, whatever. Um, And I'm just much more willing to, I guess, come out of my shell a little bit, which was a very new and interesting thing for me. And I honestly don't really know what to make of it still. Um, I would say too, I started to notice it a tiny, tiny bit with, Japanese, not so much French, but the tiny bit with Japanese in that I was more interested in art and history where I'm, you know, it's not like I don't like that now, but I found that when I was focusing on Japanese, especially, I was very much interested in art, history, and um, cooking more. So those were just some, some observations. Again, I don't really know what to make of it, but just sort of a fun byproduct of learning languages and cultures and different
0: perspectives, I think. So one of the things that I know about you is that you're pretty decent at time management because not only did you learn one language, but you've gone on to learn three different languages now. And while doing your challenges, in addition to learning languages, which is already pretty intensive, during one challenge, you were completing your degree. And then during another later challenge, you were job hunting. So... I guess I have two questions for this. So hopefully you don't mind answering both. The first is, I think a lot of learners are always worried about the right time to learn a language. They think, okay, I've got this going on. Now is not the right time to learn a language. So what made you take the leap and decide to go after it anyways, when you already had a pretty full plate? And then what are your time management tips?
1: Yeah. So I, yes, it's true. I actually love time management It's kind of a little nerdy, the extent to which I love time management tools. Um, Just a little bit more background. I have experience in event management and project management. So I I just love these types of tools, which I found has really helped with language learning. And so, for example, I am the type of person where um, I'll have uh, like a printout of a calendar and it'll say Monday through Friday. And I'll outline which activities I'm going to do each of those days Um, with some room for flexibility, of course, since, you know, you always need to give yourself a break and, you know, respect that. Um, But for example, for the second Spanish challenge that I did, because I really wanted to focus more on some of those skills that would get me up to a C1 level, which were really text Heavy. Um, I actually marked in, you know, 45 minutes of writing um, on a Tuesday or, you know, one hour itaki lesson on a Wednesday. And Thursday could be my break. And then Friday, I could do one hour of Busu, which is a language learning app, has a bunch of different languages, and just kind of rotate based off what I was feeling. And of course, anytime I realized like, hey, I'm actually getting bored of this resource, or I feel like this resource isn't really helping me get what I need right now, then I would take the time maybe on a Sunday afternoon and say, okay, I'm going to revamp this little calendar. But many times when, especially during those moments where I was most busy, it was so, so, so helpful to have something pre-prepared. It's kind of like food prep in a way, but it's just brain prep <laughs> where you can say okay I'm really busy I know I need to get 30 minutes in right now I'm going to look at the calendar okay I'm going to go do you know 30 minutes of I don't know uh, I'm going to go do 30 minutes of playing a video game in Spanish and then I do it and then I meet my goal and it's great I would also say if you are well something that also works for me is scheduling way in advance and I know that that can be really helpful for some and maybe not so helpful for others, especially if your schedule is a little hectic and changes frequently. But one thing that I did that was really helpful is I would actually schedule italki lessons for a full month in advance, which is like very type A and I own that, but <laughs> it worked. And so every week I would say, okay, I have my italki lessons on, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday going to be from, you know, 5 to 6 p.m. Great. It's booked. Don't have to worry about it. And then that also, I would say, made it much easier to make that a priority for me. Because if someone would say, hey, do you want to go do dinner at 5 p.m. on Saturday? I could say, hey, actually, I um, I have a Spanish lesson. How about we do 6.30? And then that was still something that I was able to Keep as a priority for me, which was great. In terms of, I would say, what motivated me to do the language challenges in particular during very busy moments of my life, um, to that I say, I don't know if there's ever really a good moment to do anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and so for me, I think knowing, having that kind of belief about life and also knowing that for, the, for my first Spanish challenge, I was up against a deadline. I had exactly three months to meet my goal. And the fluent in three months challenge just happened to be the perfect amount of time. Um, So that was my first motivation. And then for Japanese, I would say during the job hunt, that was actually my anchor to keep me sane um, because job hunting for me is just agony. It is just agony. And so having something to fall back on, having Japanese for, you know, 45 minutes a day, that was just really, really um, centering. And it was a really great resource for me. The other two challenges that I did were also very, very, very busy moments in my life. I was in the midst of an extremely demanding job, even during COVID, it was still demanding, which, you know, I'm grateful for. Um, And at the same time, you know, if you The advice, I guess, I would say for those who feel like you know, it's you have a lot on your plate. There's a lot going on. I would say there, there's always a way to carve out an extra 10 minutes in your morning, or an extra 20 minutes at night, or maybe you know, five minutes in the middle of the day. Something like that, where you can piece things in to just kind of put drops here and there and get little tiny bits of knowledge here and there, digestible bits, so that it can add up throughout the day. And honestly, this type of a challenge, the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place to experiment with something like that, particularly because there's a very, very supportive community of language learners who, honestly, many of them might even be in the same boat of, you know, overworked, or you know, just looking for something to do, or you know, people from all walks of life, which I think is really special and really unique. But most importantly, everyone is on your team. Everyone is on your team, and everyone has your back. Um, I recall so many instances, for example, where I mean, I recall many moments where I was struggling, where I was like, "Shoot, I'm learning Japanese." And this is so hard and it's really hard for me to find, you know, the, the time to really focus on this. I just learned that I'm not going to Japan after all. I don't really have the motivation that I had when I started, you know, different types of struggles like that, that are inevitably going to come up over three months. And so many people came and they said all sorts of encouraging things like, you know, you're doing it, you're here. Thank you for reaching out. We have your back. Let us know how we can support you. Um, yeah, and that was just a really, really wonderful moment.
2: Oh, so You said that you got into languages over a long time just by dabbling. And so obviously you have that natural curiosity for it. And you had the motivation to push your Spanish forward for the job interview. But what, what kind of benefits have you gotten out of being able to speak these languages since you've learned them? Have you had any Uh, like real life experiences beyond the italki realm where you've gotten to experience the language in the real world? And how's that gone?
1: Yeah, there have been a couple of moments. Um, The first thing that comes to mind, and of course, it's not necessarily like life changing, but I find that it's really exciting to me when I can read um, packaging in Japanese. (laughs) That's just a really cool feeling to me. My, My boyfriend subscribes to this like ramen box or something along those lines, subscription where they send him a bunch of ramen. And so my favorite thing when he gets these is to just go through each of the packages and like read everything and be like, Oh, there's, you know, this amount of sugar in here and that kind of a thing. Um, that's been really satisfying. I think otherwise though, with Spanish, that has just been such an enriching, enriching, um, Avenue ever, especially ever since I did the second challenge. Um, One thing I wasn't expecting so much out of focusing on these studies, I think, is learning so many intricacies about different cultural experiences and different countries. For example, I mean, now, and, you know, I I guess this is still related to itaki. However, because it was, uh, it wasn't necessarily like a classroom setting. It was like a, So it kind of just became a conversation between friends after a while. Um, But I learned a lot about a very particular region in northern Argentina um, and their struggles with COVID, which were fascinating to hear about, because, of course, that type of information doesn't reach the United States. I would have had a very difficult time finding it. And also just having that, I guess I guess it was like a cultural exchange almost, because I was also able to describe, you know, different weird things about what it's like to live in the United States. Um, And, you know, to people in other countries, it is very weird to us. It's normal, but, you know, just depends on what your perception of normal is. Right. Um, And also I've stayed in touch with, um, with an exchange partner in Caracas and we've been messaging still. And we uh, he added me to this group where basically it's just a bunch of people who speak Spanish with each other and he'll send little updates about, you know, what's basically going on in Caracas, which is huge. Um, But also I would say it's, it's been fantastic because I would say what reaches the United States about news of Venezuela is like, oh, it's horrible. You know, there's famine and, you know, people are sick and everything. And these updates I'm getting are like, well, we're living, we're living life. You know, here's this beach I'm on right now. Here's the grocery store. Um, here's my mom making breakfast, you know, it's, it's just kind of day in the life. And so I think that that too has been really enriching for me to be able to get kind of like a, I guess more, I don't really know what you would call it, but just a different, a different perspective of, of lived experiences as opposed to the ones that, you know, are, are most easy for someone in the United States to read about in the news or, you know, whatever.
0: Given that you've learned multiple languages now, how do you juggle practicing and just maintaining several languages?
1: Yeah. So I will be honest and say COVID has completely squashed any progress that I have made. And I own that. Um, I think in the beginning, I was really concerned about making sure that I was able to juggle these languages and making sure I was able to stay on top of Spanish and get into French and, you know, continue to keep up Japanese. And the more that we got into COVID, the more I realized I need to cut myself some slack right now. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I just kind of let it slip. And I'm OK with that. I own it. I'm totally OK with it. My plan is actually, my plan was to sort of reevaluate in the next month or so since we're coming up on the year anniversary of uh, lockdown, but to reevaluate in the next month or so what my next steps are going to be. Am I going to go really in depth into Spanish again? Am I going to start dabbling in Portuguese? Because that's something that I think would be beneficial for the line of work that I'm in. Um, Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with that in terms of juggling, though, I would really say the time, whatever time management skills, um, whatever time management skills you can pull from, those are really going to be your best friends and really, uh, identifying the ways in which you can continue to remain engaged. That's going to be the magic ticket. And I would also say, I recall, um, For example, there was a moment, there there was a time when I would keep all of my work related and sort of um, like learning related language or learning related like apps and other things in Spanish. And then I would keep my sort of fun things in Japanese. And so kind of categorizing the two like things as different languages helped a lot in terms of separating out where my headspace was going to be language-wise. Again, that didn't last too long thanks to COVID, but when I was doing it, it was really helpful.
2: So uh, it it can feel like when you're getting into learning a language that you just have to be go, go, go all the time and just be pushing on forward. But it is very important to be able to ride the waves and you have a wave of motivation and you're able to really push forward and then to accept during lulls that uh I don't have to feel guilty about this. So I know this is definitely something a lot of people listening to have certainly gone through in the last year, if not before, that um, you know, they've had that lack of motivation. They haven't necessarily put the the work in that they could. So, how have you dealt with that, the, the these feelings of guilt? And how have you been able to like allow yourself to move forward and know that this, it's not okay. This doesn't, or it's not, it's not that this is a stamp uh, for the rest of my life. Like how, how did you deal with the, those feelings of guilt?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think it was really when I realized, so when, when the the COVID lockdown really first happened, I was sort of in the camp of, oh, this is going to be over in a month or two. Not a problem. You know, no big deal. It's going to be kind of weird for a bit, but, you know, we'll get over it. It'll be okay. And then as we started getting closer to May, I realized, oh, no, this is going to be much longer (laughs) than a month or two. And it was at that point that I sort of had a reality check and said, you know what? For the foreseeable future, it's just Life is just going to be different. Life is just going to be different. And that's okay, because when it's done being different, I can go back to what I like doing and I can go back to feeling like I have the capacity to do that. I think one other value that I live by is giving yourself a break and not feeling guilty about that. And I know that that is so, so, so hard. And that is something that I've struggled with. I struggled with for for most of my life, pretty much. It wasn't until, I mean, honestly, this last year or so that I realized it's okay to take a break and not feel guilty about it. Um, Once, you know, once things have, once the dust has settled and once there's a point where, you know, you can reevaluate what's going on in your life and reevaluate what priorities you have and what's on your plate right now, then, you know, that might be a time to see, okay, can I pick this back up again? Um, But really, I mean, for me personally, I, it just was out of the question for me for the last eight or nine months or so to, to continue to uh, learn a language to the extent that I was before. And one other I guess, piece that I've been hanging on to is knowing that um, when I do get back into it, when I do get back into language study and language practice, it's going to be rough, but it'll come back. It's not like starting from ground zero with Spanish, for example. It'll be pretty choppy and it's going to be like, you know, I'll be uncomfortable, but slowly and slowly with more practice and with time, especially it'll come back. It's kind of like riding a bike, but like falling off a lot before really getting back into it. Um, Yeah, that's what I would say.
0: And one of the questions that we always like to have guests who come on the podcast, given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, is what is language hacking to you? Oh, what a nice question.
1: For me, it's for me, it's almost culture hacking is the first thing that comes to mind. For me, if you are... Well, I'll just say for me, the thing that gives me the most satisfaction is getting to a point where I can speak enough of a language to begin to share elements of each other's culture with each other and elements of each other's backgrounds and perspectives with each other. I and I'm positive that this comes from my exchange experience in Rwanda, but I am such a proponent for exchanges and I'm such a proponent for sharing experiences and so for me, language hacking would be getting to a point where you can share culture and you can share, you know, your thoughts freely.
2: Very good. And uh, what are your, the projects you're currently working on and what do you think your future language uh, life will look like?
1: Yeah, that's also a great question. So again, in my true dabbling spirit, it could be anywhere across the map. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was a moment where I was considering... Hindi. There was a moment where I was considering Korean. There was a moment where I was considering Vietnamese. Uh, I actually lived in China for seven months, but I never tried to learn it. And so part of me is like, well, maybe having been exposed to it gives me some kind of an ear. I can pick that up. Uh, I mentioned Portuguese. I, I, I work primarily in the Western Hemisphere. And so English, Spanish, Portuguese, French, that's kind of the thing yeah so i mean really i'm flexible i i'm i kind of let the books and the languages find me and kind of go from there
2: excellent stuff well thank you so much for coming on it's Mm -hmm. been very interesting and um we'll make sure to uh share any anything for people to find you in the show notes and uh otherwise we will wish you very happy language learning
0: all right
1: thanks so much benny and shannon for having me on it was great to be here
0: thank you happy language learning All right. At the end of every podcast episode, Benny and I like to share a takeaway that we had in our discussion with our guest. And these takeaways are something that are immediately actionable, something that you can implement into your language learning right away so that each week you get to experiment and try new things out. So Benny, what was your takeaway from this episode?
2: I really liked what Ashton was saying about um, dealing with the lull that I'm sure so many people I've gone through in the last year with the pandemic. And uh, like, I know I've definitely felt that guilt when it came to this periods of time when I wasn't really into language learning. And I liked what she said that you just have to own it and you have to be kind to yourself and let yourself have this break and accept that you'll be able to ride the waves of language learning and your time will come that you'll be able to uh, move on and, you'll still have to ease yourself back in. And I'm certainly seeing that myself, that I've been easing myself back in in the last four or five months. Um, and what she said really resonated with me for that. And what about yourself?
0: I think for me, it was the part of the interview where we were talking about learning additional new languages. And I think for me, I've experienced this as a musician and a language learner, but I think it's something that is always really good to just kind of have a reminder of. And that's this idea that you're basically starting over every time you learn a new language. And as someone who can already speak a language, arguably fairly well, <laughs> it's really difficult to go back to the beginning where I can't express myself, where I'm really limited, where I don't have the words to say what I want to say, and to have the patience and grace to wait through that stage until I get to the more advanced levels. And so... It's just something that is a part of the process and that you kind of have to accept, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to accept. You always want to be further along than you are. So as an adult, it's really easy to get impatient. But just the reminder that even if you already have learned a language, yes, you're going to have certain advantages. But when you start over with another new language, especially something from a completely different language family, like going from Spanish to Japanese, there's just going to be a lot that you're going to need to wait on. And there are, of course, things you can do to speed up getting through that phase, but it is a phase you're going to experience. So that would be it for me. All right. So all of the links and resources that we mentioned as a part of this interview are available to you in the show notes, which you can find in the notes section for this episode of the podcast. And until the next time, happy language learning.
2: Happy language learning.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks
0: for listening and happy language learning.